Well, welcome to Sagebrush. I know that video was all about a not-so-ordinary weekend at Sagebrush, and if you can't tell, it's a not-so-ordinary weekend at Sagebrush because I'm not Todd. Well, you don't have to laugh, but... Uh, <laughs> so, I, well, give it away. It was, it was the hair, wasn't it? Yeah, so... Hey, I know I'm a new face on, on stage up here, but uh, I've actually been around Sagebrush for, for the last five years. My name is Tim McPherson. I'm one of the pastors here on, on staff here at Sagebrush. My first four years uh, on staff here, I was actually the Riverside Middle School pastor, which was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. I loved that job until one day I woke up, my knees hurt, and I was out of hair, and I thought, it's time to go. I've got nothing left to give, so... For the last year or so, I've actually been the, the campus pastor at our Enchanted Hills location out in Rio Rancho. And uh, my wife and I, our, my family and I, we love our Enchanted Hills family. I know you guys are watching right now, so you see me, I don't see you. But man, I, I, we love our Enchanted Hills family. We honest though, as a family, uh, we love getting to be part of Sagebrush and seeing, that, uh, seeing everything that God is doing across all of our campuses, uh, across New Mexico and in Belize. So speaking of my family though, uh, let me show you the good looking people in my life. This is a picture of my family. Uh, that's right, aw. <laughs> you're clapping because you're going, there is a God, because how does that guy end up with that? I don't know, by the grace of God. So actually that's, that's my wife, Natalie. We have been married uh, for nine and a half years. That's right, I know my anniversary <laughs> is sometime in July, I think. Uh, so Natalie's actually on staff uh, here at Sagebrush 2 in our creative department. She made that video that we just watched. So that's good stuff. Uh, and what I'm trying to tell you is she is both the looks and the talent in the family. That's right. And if you're in here and you're single, look at that. Look at me. There's, there's hope for you, I promise, okay? And then those are our two, our two adorable little, little kids. Our daughter, Eleanor, she's five years old, and she is crushing it in kindergarten. And then that's our son, Levi, and he is three years old and crushing it because he just breaks everything in my house. Uh, but I love them, and uh, as a family man, Sagebrush, you guys have been so good to us. You have loved my family well. You've loved my kids well. We are so glad and thankful just to get to do life with, with you guys and uh, see what God is doing at Sagebrush. And so actually, for the last couple of months uh, as a church, we've, we've been in this series called Escaping Ordinary, where we've been looking at what does it look like to step into the full and the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have, not just when we make it to heaven, but what does it, do, how does, what does it look like to do that now, in this life, on, on this earth, how do we, how do we live a life that, that means something and matters? And so that's what we're going to dive into today. So I don't know if you're like me, but probably if you are over the last week, this is the time of year where every single year we do this. We go through the motions. We, we do this every year. You start thinking of New Year's resolutions to make, right? You start thinking of, of what do you want to change? What do you want to fix? What do you, what do you want to work on in this, this coming year? And so I do the same thing. And so I did some studying on this. I looked it up. Did you know out of all of the Americans that are going to make and are making New Year's resolutions this year, that about 75% of those resolutions will make it for one week? Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. And then out of those that make it past the first week, I looked it up too, uh, the ones that make it past the first week, only uh, about, uh, sorry, 80% of those will fail by February. So the odds are not in your favor this year. Never have been, just haven't. Now, that's not new information, right? Like, well, we talk about this all the time. We all joke about how nobody really falls through on their New Year's resolutions. I mean, gyms are full in January and they're empty by March at best, right? So here's my question, because you know this is all true. Why do we keep making resolutions? Well, why do we do this to ourselves every single year? Why do we pretend like we're gonna, we're gonna make these big changes, but then every year we, we, we fall short of it? Here's what I think. Maybe you'll agree with me on this. I think down to your core, down to our core, we know better is possible, right? 
I mean, you want better in your marriage. You want better in your relationship with your kids. You want better health, physically, mentally, emotional health. You, you want better. Here's the sad news, though. Those same studies tell us that year after year, fewer and fewer Americans are even bothering to make New Year's resolutions in the first place. So what's that tell us? It tells us this, that we know better is possible. We know better is out there. We just don't think it's possible for people like us. And I don't know why that is, but maybe it's in the past. You've had some failures from the past, and so you tried really hard. It didn't stick, and you failed, you failed at it, and so you kind of lost any hope that people like us could change or get better. And maybe it's because we, I don't know, maybe it's because we went too big in the past, right? Like, we've all done that, right? Like, I know we're at church, but it's a new year, new me, let's be honest. Just give me a head nod. We've all, we've all made the, the New Year's resolution to um, wake up at 5 in the morning and go to the gym every day. Give me a head nod. Thank you for being honest. We can be friends. I appreciate that. Yeah. You wake up, you decide, you resolve that you're gonna wake up at five in the morning, you're gonna hit the gym, you're gonna get healthy this year, you clear out all the snacks out of, out of your pantry, you replace it with quinoa and kale, Ugh, right? And then you know what's gonna happen, right? In just a few weeks, just a couple of small compromises and there you are sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and Twinkies. I've been there. How about this? Maybe, maybe in years past, you've, you've, you've gone big in your, your resolutions for your relationship status, right? You're like, this is the year. I'm, I'm not going to be single by the end of this year. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to get married. And yet here you are at the start of a new year, still single. Or maybe it went the other way, right? Maybe last year you resolved, this is the year I'm going to break up. I'm going to end that toxic, that unhealthy relationship that I've had. And yet here you are at the start of a new year, still sitting next to that loser. Eyes up here. Eyes up here. Thank you. <laughs> Make for a rough car ride home, wouldn't it? <laughs> so we resign ourselves to living an ordinary life. We've gone too big in the past. And I'll, I'm right there with you, okay? I don't want you to think I'm, like I've got this ever figured out. Honestly, you can ask my wife this. For the last four years, my New Year's resolution was to go to the gym and get big. <laughs> I know, I hate when you laugh at that. Anyway, but I think we do the same thing too, not just with those parts of our life, but we do the same thing spiritually, right? We, we've resolved in the past. All of us at some point have said, you know what, this is gonna be the year that, that I talk to God, that I know God more than I ever have. And so I'm gonna wake up before, before the kids wake up. I'm gonna wake up in the still quiet of the morning and I'm gonna spend hours praying and talking to God. And if you're like me, you get up into your living room, you sit in that nice comfy chair and then you go to sleep, right? Or maybe you've resolved in the past, like this is the year I wanna know God's word more than I ever have in the, in the past. And so I'm gonna read the Bible every single day until you find out last year that Disney, it's Disney fault, okay? They're dropping a brand new series, a series season of the best show ever made, The Mandalorian, right? And you don't have time for the Bible, you gotta hang out with Baby Yoda, yeah. Well, what about this? Maybe in the past, you're, you and your spouse, maybe last year you resolved, you said this is gonna be the year that we're finally gonna get the right people around us. This is gonna be the year that we get into a small group just as soon as football, sorry, I meant baseball. Did I say baseball? I meant wrestling. No, 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 cheer season is over for the kids. Then we'll get in a small group. And in light of that, this is what I'm driving at today. And this is what I want us to think through. What if the key to escaping your ordinary life isn't in making these big life-changing New Year's resolutions that we never follow through on anyway? Maybe it's not the big stuff. What if you could have the extraordinary life that you've always desired, the extraordinary life that God created you to have, what if you could have that by just focusing on a few small things? And this fits really well with where we've been over the last couple of months in our series, Escaping Ordinary. For, for weeks, for months, we've opened up the book of Acts and we've looked at how God used the early church to do some amazing things. But here's what I, point, I wanna point out as we start things off today. The early church did amazing things and it wasn't because they focused on the big picture stuff. They actually were just faithful, they were devoted to, they resolved to do just a few small things. Look at this, Acts 2.42, this is how the church changed the world. Here's your list of the small things they focused on. 
It says this, Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And that was it. No big New Year's resolutions, no quinoa or kale required. They just focused on a few small things to, to reading God's word, to reading the Bible. They focused, they devoted themselves, they resolved to spending time with each other, to doing life together in small groups. They focused, they devoted themselves to, to praying with and for each other, to praying more. And we saw this every single week of the series, didn't we? That they were devoted to sharing their faith boldly. And it was through those small things that they not only changed themselves, the early church, they changed the world, not through big, but through small. See, the early church understood something that I want us to hold on to as we start a new year as sagebrush. And it was simply this truth that a little faith can do great things when it's placed in our great God. So instead of big this year, why don't we focus as a church, why don't we focus on small? And what would be the smallest thing in that list that I just read? What would be the smallest thing that you and I could focus on? I think it would be the thing that, that it's so easy to do that honestly we don't think to make time for it because it's just that simple and small and easy. I think it would be prayer. So that's what we're gonna do today. Once again, we're gonna open up the book of Acts and here's what we're gonna see. Three choices that you and I have to make this year in the kind of people we wanna be in our prayer life. And so Acts chapter 12, it opens with a devastating blow to the early church, okay? James, who was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus and a leader of the early church, he's been arrested, he's been put on trial, and at this point, he's been put to death by the sword, which means he was probably beheaded. Well, this makes King Herod the one that does this. It makes King Herod really popular at this time with some of the Jewish folks that were trying to stop the early church movement, and so he doubles down. He wants to be even more popular, so Herod doubles down on this strategy and he seizes and arrests another early church leader, another, another one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, Peter. And that's where we're gonna, we're gonna pick up. Acts chapter 12, verse five says this. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers, and others stood guard at the prison gate. So Herod has seized, has seized Peter, he's put him in prison, and he intends to do the same thing to Peter that he did to James. So imagine this picture for just a second, okay? The early church, they gathered up in somebody's house, and they are praying earnestly for Peter. Meanwhile, Peter is in prison waiting to be executed, and what is he doing? Sleeping. Okay, now I want you to think about this. Maybe you are braver people than I am, but if I'm, in, if I'm in prison, chained between two like UFC buff guards, okay, and I know my head is gonna roll off my shoulders in the morning, I'm not taking a nap, right? But here's Peter and he's sleeping. This is thousands of years before they made those tasty melatonin gummies that you and I are, are hooked on. That's another sermon, okay? But think about this, but Peter is sleeping. Why? Better question, how? I think it's because Peter had learned to trust God no matter what. See, Peter is the same Peter that writes the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. And in that book, Peter simply puts it like this. He says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. See, Peter knew that he was gonna be okay either way. He wasn't anxious, he wasn't afraid, he wasn't scared, he wasn't nervous. He knew down to his core, he knew that God cared about him. And so he was casting his worries and his cares upon God for a long time. In fact, Peter had been praying, I think, not just before bedtime, I think Peter had been praying all the time. And that leads us to the first choice and the kind of person that you and I can choose to be this year in our prayer life with God. Do you wanna be the kind of person that, the kind of person that prays all the time or just when you need something, okay? Remember, new year, new me, we're gonna be honest at church, all right? Like, let's just be honest. Your prayer life, it might be dead in the water until you get pulled over. Mm -hmm. 
And that cop walks up with a ticket. Hey, Jesus, could you get me out of this one time, right? Or maybe you're a college student or a high school student or you remember this moment where, man, your prayer life, you might not have prayed in months or even years, but your prayer life gets real passionate the moment you sit down to take a test that you didn't study for. And you're going, Jesus, if you could just beam the answers into my brain one time. It's always just one time, isn't it? Just once. Or how about this? Maybe this last week at Christmas, you got that, that nice new ring doorbell camera. Super convenient. Someone rings the doorbell. You can see who's on your phone, right? Trust me, friend. When that doorbell camera goes off and you see that it's your in-laws come to stay with you for two weeks, you will pray. I don't know what that's like, obviously. But that's not the kind of prayer life that God wants from us, right? That's not the kind of relationship God wants with us, is it? God doesn't want us to run to him just when we, when we need something or when we're in trouble. See, you know this is true. God longs to do life with you, all of life with you. And so that's the kind of relationship that Peter has with God. You see, Peter wants to spend time with God. Peter shares with God not just what he's worried about or what's going wrong in his life. He also, he also shares with God the good stuff that's happening. And because of that, Peter knows God. Peter knows that God's gonna do right by him because Peter knows God's character. Peter knows God's heart for Peter that no matter what happens, God's gonna do right by him, that he's gonna, he's gonna have a purpose and a meaning to his life. And that is why Peter has rest right now in this situation. Now I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a second. Imagine what you're facing at home or what you're about to walk into the office on Monday or what's going on with your kids or what's going on with, with your health, right? The, the heavy, the hard stuff. Just imagine what would it be like if you had that kind of relationship with God, the same that Peter has, where, where you cast all your cares and your worries upon God. Imagine the relief, the rest that you could have, the rest that you haven't had in a long time. Where does that come from? Where does that relationship start? Well, not just probably by praying some of the time, but by us choosing to be the kind of people that pray all the time. That's what Peter does, and so Peter's able to rest in this moment. And then look at what it says in the very next verse in Acts chapter 12. It says this, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. Now again, imagine this, okay? This angel shows up and Peter, he kind of wakes up, but he's not awake all the way, okay? He's like, he thinks he's having a really cool dream where there's an angel that shows up, okay? So Peter stumbled around looking like Mr. Magoo with his eyes half closed, not thinking this is real at all. And so Peter follows this angel out of his cell, past two guard posts and past a giant iron gate. And that's when Peter snaps out of it, out of it and realizes this is actually happening, and so a few verses later, look at what Peter does. The very first thing when he kind of realizes that, he, that God's freedom, it says, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door and the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone Peter standing at the door. You are out of your mind, they said. Poor Rhoda. Okay, like, listen, she's better than the rest of us. She made it into the Bible, right? But the one story that she's in is people going, you're crazy, girl, mm-hmm, right? The church, they get what they ask for. Peter's been released from, from prison. They hear the news and they, they look at Rhoda and go, listen, go tell Peter, mm-hmm, that we're busy praying for the real Peter, so tell Peter to get out of here, right? They got what they wanted and they didn't believe it. And so when I read this story, I get frustrated, don't you? Like, guys, it was right there in front of you. I get frustrated with them until I realize that you and I, we can probably relate. We've probably prayed prayers the same way where we're going, hey God, this is a big deal. We need you to come through on this, but in the back of your mind, you're going, I don't know if you will. 
And that leads to the second choice in the kind of people we get to choose to be this year in our prayer life with God. Do you want to be the kind of person that prays earnest, believing prayers? Or do you want to be the kind of person that prays unbelieving prayers and you just kind of go through the motions? Now hear me on this, okay? Hear my heart with this one. I don't take this one lightly because I know, I know for some of you, you stopped praying a long time ago because back when you used to pray, you didn't pray selfish prayers, did you? No, you, you prayed for other people. You prayed for health for that person in your life that you loved that was in the hospital and dying. You prayed for peace with your, with your spouse or with your kids. You prayed for God to resolve a really tough spot, a really tough situation that you were in, and it didn't happen. And so now let's just be honest, right? If you pray, you're just going through the motions, right? Maybe before dinner, God is great, God is good, I guess. Thanks for this food, let's eat. Or maybe, maybe you still pray those big, hairy, audacious prayers, the prayers, the kind that only God can come through on, but let's just be honest, in the back of your mind, you've got that voice that says, no way. He didn't last time, why would he this time? Could God even? I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, okay? This one's hard for me because I was that kind of a person for a long time in my life. You see, back when I was in college, we found out that my dad had to have open heart surgery, and that frustrated me because my dad, you gotta know this, my dad was always a really healthy person. It wasn't his fault, it was just a weird genetic thing where the doctor just said, hey, the, one of the valves in your heart, it's busted. So I was frustrated about that because that didn't seem fair, but on a deeper level, I was mad at God. You see, my dad's a pastor, a really good one. I mean, my dad has been, has been a student pastor, which that, that just takes something special, Yeah. My dad was a student pastor, he was a, he was a missionary, he was a lead pastor, my dad was a church planner. My dad, since I was a kid, has always been sold out on the things of Jesus, doing whatever it takes. My dad has given his life to point people towards Jesus, and so I looked at God in college and said, hey, doesn't he get a pass on this one? Didn't stop at the day the surgery came, and there were complications, and my dad barely makes it through the surgery, but because of those complications at that first surgery, it led to over the next 18 months, my dad had to have 16 follow-up procedures. Some of you know what that's like. Constantly in and out of the hospital, hoping and praying that, God, this is the last time, right? This is the time where we get relief, where he gets healed and we're, we're done with this, right? But every time you go on and it doesn't work, your hope dies just a little bit more. Well, in the middle of all that, my dad also, because of the complications at one of those procedures, my dad also, his body reacts poorly and he developed this autoimmune disorder in the middle of it. And what this meant was my dad would have what we called episodes, where all of a sudden my dad, without any warning, and he's tall like I am, he would just pass out and he'd hit the floor. And then when he did wake up, he would be in so much pain for days at a time that he couldn't get out of bed. And so you better believe I prayed earnestly to God. And my prayers were really clear. Hey, God, would you heal my dad? Please? And God didn't. So I stopped praying. I mean, I prayed, I just didn't pray believing. I didn't pray earnestly. I prayed for my dad saying, God, would you heal my dad, I guess. Now, I'm not the one actually suffering with the health issues in this moment, but that's my attitude, that's my heart, and that's my prayer life. In the meantime, my father, in the middle of all this, he begins going on mission trips to, to Cuba. He would go there to, to lead, to train up, to develop local pastors and local missionaries to go advance the kingdom of God in Cuba. Well, it was on my dad's third trip to Cuba while he's still dealing with all this and there's no cure for anything. On my dad's third trip to Cuba, he gets done teaching one night and he gets off stage and, and a bunch of these Cuban pastors, they circle up around my dad and they do something that the church has done for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. They circle up around my dad and they lay hands on him and they prayed for him earnestly. My dad doesn't speak a lick of Spanish, but he could hear in their tone that the way they were praying, the way he describes it, it was like they went to the throne room of God for him on his behalf. 
They prayed earnestly for my father. And I love this because that was five years ago. And ever since that happened five years ago, there was no, there was no lights from heaven, no angel choirs or anything like that. But since that prayer five years ago, my dad hasn't had an episode since God healed my father. And God gets all the credit and the glory for that, right? But I don't tell you that story. I don't want you to take away from that story like, okay, Tim, so what you're saying is the reason that God hasn't heard my prayers is that I, I just don't have enough faith. I should just believe more. That's not what I'm saying. That's nowhere in the Bible. What I'm trying to point out is, did my attitude help? In that situation, was my prayer life really that effective? Did it, did it help my dad? Not, not at all. Did it help my relationship with God? Absolutely not. So maybe for some of us, this is what needs to change because you've been in that spot before too. Maybe this is the time where you return to praying. What if we as a church committed this year to praying earnestly? Not always telling God what we think he should do, but looking at God and saying, I believe you. Again, some of you are going, Tim, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm out of words, me too. I really was, and so this is the earnest prayer that I picked up during that time. Here's a really simple prayer, a simple template. It goes like this. Hey God, I can't, but you can. God, with my kids, with my marriage, with my work-life balance, with my health, God, I can't fix it, I can't resolve it, God, I can't handle it, but you can, and I believe you. Friends, that's an earnest prayer, isn't it? That's the earnest kind of prayer that the church was praying for, for Peter, and so Peter, he gets released from prison. This is usually where I'm supposed to stop telling you the story when we go, yay, everyone lived happily ever after. Mostly true, except in chapter 12, one person doesn't. Remember King Herod, the one who started this whole thing off? He arrested Peter and put him in prison to, to behead him. I want you to see how his story ends. It says this, Acts chapter 12, verse 21, it says, On the appointed day, Herod was wearing his royal robes, and he sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. How would you like that on your obituary? Eaten by worms and died. Hopefully not in that order, yeah? But don't miss this, okay? Did you catch it? Herod gets up, and he's in his fancy, his royal, his regal robes. And Herod's not a, not a good man, but apparently he's a good public speaker, and the people begin to praise Herod for being a god. And here's Herod's problem. He knew better. I mean, he knew God, or at least he knew enough about God to know that this was wrong, but he does it anyway, and he takes the credit, he takes the praise, and then God immediately strikes him down. Why? Because God opposes the proud. And that leads us to the third choice that you and I have and the kind of people we wanna be this year in our prayer life. And this is honestly, this is the most crucial one. Do we wanna be the kind of people that are humble or prideful? And how do you know you've been prideful in your prayer life? You've probably experienced this, right? It's when you get mad at God when he doesn't come through on your terms, Yeah? Versus the opposite of that is a humble prayer life where you go, God, I trust you. I know you can do all things. No matter what you do, I love you and I trust you. That's a humble prayer life. Let's dig a little bit deeper actually in that if you're prideful with God, let's just be honest for a second because I've held this assumption too. If you're prideful with God, you have this core belief that maybe you don't say out loud, but you have this, this some, some sort of idea belief that kind of goes like this. God owes me. I know I'm not the best person, but like, I'm better than her, right? Like, yeah, have you seen those people over there? Like, you know, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team because God, I do all the right things, okay? God, I, I read my Bible most days. God, I'm not just in one small group. I'm in two, okay? God, I do the hardest thing there is at Sagebrush. I show up to church when Todd isn't teaching. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, by the way. 
But a prideful heart towards God, a prideful prayer life starts with that assumption of God owes me. And what happens when we pray like that? Well, eventually when God doesn't come through on our terms, we get mad. When we throw our anger at God, we walk away from him, don't we? And sadly, I've had family and friends that they've done this. They've walked away from God, and eventually they always ask me the, the same question. It's the same every time. Hey, Tim, if God's so good, then why does he let bad things happen to good people like me? Here's the problem with that way of thinking. It assumes you're good. It assumes that I'm good, doesn't it? But Jesus makes this really clear to us when he says this in the book of Mark. Jesus says, hey, no one is good except God alone. I want you to pause there for a second. If those words from Jesus are true, that no one is good except God alone, tie that to prayer for a second. Prayer really isn't such a small thing, is it? Because here we are, not good. God is good, and when we pray to him, we're talking with him. We're developing and building a relationship with him. We're communicating with the God of the universe. And the Bible tells us God is holy. He's not like you and me. He's righteous. That means he's good, right, and true all the time, always. That God is the creator of heaven and earth. And not only that, the Bible tells us that God is the sustainer of all things. That means he holds all things, including you and me, together. And that same God of the universe, this is the mind-blowing part of me about part to me for prayer. That same God of the universe, he wants a relationship with us. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to meet you in your worst moment in life and walk with you through that. But that can't happen until you remember or until you realize where you stand. And once again, the Bible is abundantly clear on this. The Bible says in the book of Romans that no one is righteous, not even one. Translation, God doesn't owe you. God doesn't owe me. He doesn't owe owe any of us. But in spite of that, God loves you enough to take the wrath and the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin. God took that punishment and he poured it out on the only person who is good, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Why? So that you could know him. So that we could pray, that we could know our Father in heaven. That's why Jesus laid down his life on the cross to save us. In fact, this is such a mind-blowing thing. Prayer is not such a small thing at all. And the Bible tells us this. It confirms it because the Bible tells us later on in the book of Hebrews that in light of the mighty sacrifice that Jesus made for us to know God, here's how we should approach God. Hebrews says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace, grace to help us when we need it most. If you get nothing else out of tonight or out of this weekend. Here's my hope and my prayer is that you would understand that this is a promise. This is a promise for no matter what you've gone through in the year 2022, no matter what this next year is gonna throw at you, no matter what you're carrying with you right now, this is a promise that because of Jesus, that you and I can have a relationship with God, that we can approach him boldly with confidence. And here's the best part about the promise. God says, if you'll do that, if you'll draw near to me, I'll give you mercy. I'll give you grace to make it through whatever you're facing. I wanna be clear, the Bible never promises you or me that if we would just pray the right prayers, if we would just have a little bit more faith when we prayed to God, that God would just magically make all of our problems go away, that he would pull you out of the bad situation that you're in. The Bible never promises that, but here's what the Bible does promise. This is God promising, saying, if you would just walk with me, if you would just accept this invitation to know me, to have, to, to have a relationship with me by faith in Jesus, if you would just walk near with me, God promises to give you what you need. And what do you need most when you're in trouble? You need your dad. 
That's what God promises this year. It's kind of like this. Let's go back to my dad's story for just, just a moment. I have no doubt five years ago, God healed my father as those men in Cuba were praying for him. I have no doubt about that, that God restored his health. But I got to ask the question, is my dad's health, is that the point of his life? Like big picture, right? Was my dad born just so he could get sick and so God could heal him? Is my dad's health, is that the point of his life? Because if his health is the point of his life, then you answer this for me, okay? Five years ago, God healed my dad. Two years ago, my dad got diagnosed with Parkinson's. That's the problem with life. Nobody makes it out alive. So it's not my dad's health. That's not the point of his story. No, the point of my dad's story is the same mission of this church. My dad lives his life to know Christ and to make Christ known. And so in sickness and in health, and right now it's in sickness, my dad continues to, to lead and to develop pastors that are gonna lead the church long after he's gone. In sickness and in health, my dad does what all of us can be doing. He intentionally puts himself in situations where he gets to meet people who are far away from God so that he can build a friendship, a relationship with them so that he can invite them into the extraordinary life that Jesus has for them. He can invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Friends, that makes an eternal impact. That is an extraordinary life. But where does that start? Well, it starts today for my dad the same way that it did for me growing up. See, just like when I was growing up as a kid, and to this day, if you wake up early enough, you can catch my dad in the still quiet of the morning with his Bible open down in the living room. Oh, Bible open, head bowed, and he's praying without ceasing. He's praying earnestly. He's praying humbly. That's where an extraordinary life starts. You know, that's his story. What about, what about Peter's story? Maybe you relate to, to Peter's circumstance right now because you're going, hey, I'm, I'm walking through, through something tough right now. We just read the story where God plucked Peter out of his circumstance, where, where God fixed all of Peter's, Peter's issues and his circumstances. Everything got fixed. Is that the point of Peter's story, though? Because we know this is true, that one day Peter would be arrested again. And, and he'd, be, he'd be awaiting execution, trial and execution. And on that same day, we know that once again, the, the, the church would gather up and they would pray for Peter earnestly. But we know that Peter wouldn't make it out on that day because we know that Peter was executed for the cause of Christ. And in that moment, was God still good? Absolutely. But the point of Peter's story, the point of your story and mine is found at the very end of Acts chapter 12, this chapter, when it simply says this, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You see, when the church does what it's supposed to do, when we don't focus on the, the big life change resolutions that we're always trying to make, when we are faithful with the small things, God does big things. So what would it look like for us as a church if that was our resolution, that we were gonna be those kind of people in our prayer life, that we were gonna pray without ceasing, that you and I would cast all of our cares and worries upon God so that we could have a peace like the world has never seen or known? What if you and I as a church, we resolve to pray earnest, believing kind of prayers, saying, God, I know you can do all things because all things are possible with you. And most importantly, what if this year you and I as a church, we resolve to pray humbly? God, not what I want, but, but what you want. What would God do in your life if we, we resolve to pray like that? What would God do in the life of your family, your friends, your neighbors? What would God do through our church this year if we prayed like that? I think more than we could ever hope or imagine or dream. Prayer seems small, big difference. So let's do that now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. 
God, you brought us through another year. And as we start this new year, my hope and my prayer for us as a church, as your people, is that we would focus not on the the big sweeping stuff and the, the storms and the chaos that's going on in our life, but God, instead, that we would focus on being faithful with the small things that you've given us. God, for some of us, prayer seems like such a leap because it's been, it's been a long time. Because of the things that we've carried and the things that we've, we've gone through, God, we've, we've lost hope. So Father, I pray today that for some of us, we would rekindle our relationship with you. Or we would long to share the bad and the good stuff with you. That God, we would have the kind of relationship where we cast all of our cares and our worries upon you because we know that you care for us. God, I pray that we would be open and honest and real in our prayers. And, and this year, we would have moments where we look at you and say, God, with what I'm facing, I can't, but God, I know you can. But that God, more, most importantly, that we would pray humble prayers where we look at you and say, God, with everything going on in my life, you're the most important thing. So God, what do you want from me today? God, I know and I trust that as we do that, that we would step into the extraordinary life that you have for us. Father, I also pray for some of my friends in here right now. God, I pray that this would be their moment. They've been walking away from you for a long time, but God, I pray that this would be the moment where they hear your voice, they hear your invitation to draw near to you, that through Jesus, they can approach you with confidence and boldness, that they can step into the extraordinary life that you have for them. God, that you have for all of us as a church. God, we trust this and we know this is true because you loved us enough to send Jesus to save us. That's what we build our lives on and that's... And it's in his name that we pray, amen.